0: Hello and welcome everybody to That's a Data Problem. I'm your host, Daniel Newman, Principal Analyst and Founding Partner at Futurum Research. Excited about today's conversation, which is part of our multi-conversation series with Splunk, where we are having discussions about technology, digital transformation, innovation, people, and so many other things, and today, we're going to have that people conversation with a whole bunch of that other stuff. And I'm excited to be joined by Kristen Robinson, Splunk's Chief People Officer. Kristen? Hey, welcome. Daniel. Good to be here. It's great to have you here. I uh, haven't had a chance to talk since we did our big end of year roundtable last year, but it was so much fun. And I'm so glad to be able to bring you back. You had so many insightful things to say. And we are in a world right now where people are, well, by the way, always should have been, but are becoming more and more the center of the discussion as we are dealing with this new normal, future of work, whatever we wanna call it. And I wanna talk to you about that today, but before we do that, why don't you just quickly introduce yourself and talk about what the Chief People Officer of Splunk, what does that mean, what do you do?
1: Yeah, so I joined Splunk last January of 2020, three days before coronavirus came into our vernacular and five weeks before we all went away and, and worked from home. So um, it's been a whirlwind. I couldn't be happier to be at a place that values results, people, innovation, etc. And so um, it's, it's a fun ride and the journey ahead is just more positive than, than I think we can all imagine. And what we do, what we do, right, I take business strategy, translate that into people strategy and organization strategy, it's super simple. How do we use the organization, the people, the culture to make sure that we're driving our business results and making an impact for our stakeholders, You know, namely customers, but also for employees, our shareholders, our communities, partners. So that's what I do.
0: Absolutely. The title Chief People Officer Hasn't become completely ubiquitous with every organization just yet, but I think increasingly as companies are truly looking at digital transformation and the fact that it's not just about technology, but it's really you know the confluence, uh, it's the convergence in many ways of those forces, the forces that technology have on people, but also the forces that people have on business. Uh, I think your role and what, I don't know what they're going to call it all the time, but I think that role is going to become instrumental in more and more organizations. And I'm really glad to see a company like Splunk, you know, being on the front end, being early, being innovative and thinking, Hey, we really need someone that is centering their entire, um, you know, thought process around how we make people love their work and do it well.
1: Well, and what's interesting is you were talking about technology and the impact on people. Well, technology doesn't pop out of soil on the ground, right? People make and create technology. So it starts with people and ultimately it ends with people too.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, you follow the VC. I always thought the seed round was the spot when the seeds started to pop up out of the ground. That's not, that's not what they mean when they say a seed round. (laughs) All right, that's the uh, tech humor. I I don't know. It it was just a little bit funnier than dad humor. Which <laughs> my other dads that are listening. But hey, everyone out there that is listening here, I hope you're uh, you know buckled in because we're gonna have some some really interesting conversation here. Something that has to be top of mind everywhere. I know. Yesterday I shared um, an infographic about Zoom fatigue, and it was a really kind of fun infographic that did a comparative, Kristen, between how men and women. So it looked at it from a gender standpoint. It turns out, by the way we are all struggling, but we're all struggling a little bit differently um, with the volume of digital meetings and remote. But I guess the biggest thing I took away is we are, no matter how much it's hard to believe it, we are kind of coming to the end of the, the worst if we aren't already in the sense of, I'm going on a plane next week to a customer site to record a video. And all the reason I'm saying that is that's like a wow moment. <laughs> we're in May of 2021. I always try to benchmark that because people will be listening to this for years to come. First time getting on a flight to go see a customer in 15 months. I used to fly 48 weeks a year. So we're getting closer, Kristen.
1: We are absolutely getting closer and it feels so good. But remember, coming into this, there was no playbook. No playbook whatsoever You know, going into a pandemic. And actually from a workforce and a workplace standpoint, there's no playbook coming out of it. And as my team and I last year were thinking about, oh my gosh, how hard this is. We don't know what we don't know. We're learning every single moment of every single day. We knew that coming out of this and figuring out how to bring people back into our offices, not back to work because we've been working like crazy for the last year plus, but back to our offices it's going to be harder and more complicated actually than sending everyone home and working virtually. So I'm super interested to learn, you know, things in the next months uh, about how we all kind of get back to what we used to think is normal.
0: Well, let's talk about this. Um, Splunk's a great company to actually use anecdotally, metaphorically, uh, because you've been going through a lot of this. Uh, There's, the company made some statements about allowing people to continue to work from home and work from different places, which is, you're not the only company, but been pretty progressive uh, out there and clearly going to be a different operation than it was prior. You know, we had COVID. We're still seeing digital transformation accelerate. Um, it's pushing other trends. Um, it's forcing you and your role to kind of revise the people strategy as a whole. Talk about kind of the the confluence of all those things and what you've seen over the past, you know, 15 months and now as we exit.
1: Yeah. What's really interesting is that when COVID hit all of us, we went back to some basics, right? How do we keep people safe and healthy? Like that's, that's the bottom of the pyramid in Maslow's hierarchy, right? How do you do that? And, I think what I have learned over the years, over recent years is not only is data interesting, but our human brains are interesting. And so what we really centered on at the very beginning was that our employees want and need autonomy autonomy to choose what's best for them, you know, in a global pandemic, they need flexibility from their managers about how to work the way they, they need to right? and they need human connection. And so we really focused on that going into working, you know, hundred percent remotely and you know what, all those things are still important and they will be the core foundation of how we think about our people, the way they want to work and what keeps them well in the future.
0: Yeah, there's no question about that. I mean, you're basically having to, to break this down, and, and I've had the chance to, to read some of your commentary across the board and how you're approaching this, um, but you are really dealing with these forces that is taking care of people who, by the way, are dealing with a lot. This year didn't, it's, it's taken a toll, and on everyone differently, but you can't, imagine this was something, like you said, there was no playbook. Nobody expected it. Some people are scared to go back to work. Some people are nervous to get vaccinated. I mean, you have the whole spectrum. And, and besides the sensationalism of headlines, these are very normal people that you would enjoy a cup of coffee with or would have gone to an event a year ago or a year and a half ago and had a had a beer with and not thought twice. And, and this has phased them. And that's made you, you know, thinking about COVID with every decision you make, rethinking your, your entire workforce strategy. And, and I have to imagine as a company that's all about data to everything, you have to be thinking about the, the application of data here. And I know when I talked to Doug Merritt, um, you know the CEO of Splunk, in a conversation, he's, he referenced that. But I imagine that was something that was put on your plate. How do we take all this data and figure out the best way to help people pick yeah. the path to return and, and for the company to get that productivity?
1: Yeah, it's data has been um, more useful in my career this past year than it ever has. And and for me, you know, I've been a big advocate and a data geek myself um, since early, early days. But, you know, I think about it like this. We can't run a business without financials right? If you only put together financial statements once a year, that wouldn't be very helpful, right? You can't run a business without customer data. And we get that all the time. We get market data. Well, guess what? You can't run a business without employee data. And I think, you know, many of us have seen, you know, the typical, what's your head count? What are your attrition rates? How are you hiring? But more than ever, sentiment data for our employees has been critical for developing strategies to um, assessing needs and to creating solutions for our employees that will help them today so you know at splunk we did a lot of um, check-in surveys over the course of this past year we did pulses after amped up employee town halls or meetings And uh, we just ran a pretty big engagement survey in the past months at all. And we we need that data and that continuous data. Now, I know many people feel like they're surveyed out, right? There's survey fatigue because one of the key things that we can get from employees is their sentiment, what they're thinking, how they're feeling. And that requires us, you know, at scale to use surveys, but you know what I'm, I'm, you know, trying to, Engage and enroll employees to understanding how important that is for us, and being um, generous, you know, with their uh, their inputs. And it also is an indication that we're a listening culture, right? We are committed to hearing the voices of what is right now, almost 7,000 employees around the world at Sponk.
0: Yeah, I I like that. I was reviewing some of the things the company did. And and by the way, early on, the technology that was the breakthrough was collab, right? We heard about the Zoom boom, the Microsoft Teams, Cisco WebEx, and it was at least enabling this level of humanity. You mentioned turning cameras on and keeping cameras on, which, by the way, I think this was probably one of the best outcomes of the pandemic was people truly did fully adopt the power of video. Um, and for a while it was amazing. And for people that have the same haircut as me, it's pretty easy to manage. But as a whole, um, we lost that you know level of engagement when people didn't turn the cameras on, didn't get face to face. and we were all getting pretty isolated. And I think you guys pushing that. but then you saw these companies actually up leveling, you know, Microsoft came out with a, a view that made the rooms more human. I, um, and zoom now has done the same thing. So instead of just a a Brady bunch looking block of faces, it like puts us in coffee shops and, and in settings that look like classrooms. Right. I thought that was pretty clever, but then these companies started to go even one step further because of the data that you're talking about to start to build, you know, not just collaboration for the sake of meeting, but collaboration for the sake of wellness. And, um, you know, those check-ins you talk about, building tools that allowed you to measure employee sentiment and things like their their productivity, help them know when they might need to take a break. I mean, you know, you're a C-suite exec, and I'm an entrepreneur that runs a business, and we don't really maybe have an off button, but but the 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 rate which we run would be considered hot. And when you run hot all the time, there's a real significant burnout that comes. And I, I don't know about you, Kristen, but I, if your experience over the last 15 months has been anything like me, I would assume I'm probably somewhere between two and three times the number of meetings uh, in 2020 and into 21 um, that I had prior. And by the way, I, I would spend 47 weeks on planes flying around, and I thought I had a lot of meetings. And I'm working at least 20 to 30 more hours on an average week right now than I did even pre-pandemic.
1: Yeah, you know what, I think you're talking about the fact that technology has enabled us to do more activity, right? It it hasn't necessarily made us really more impactful, right, or more thoughtful. And, um, you know, you think about the technology, whether it's Slack or Zoom, I've got pings coming at me probably from 10 different sources in any given hour constantly, but like, that is not good for our brains to tell you the truth. And I think what's missing for us uh, a bit, especially as leaders, when we're dealing with so much uncertainty and the impact of our decisions um, is significant on many people, um, we don't have as much reflection time, right? You're, you're taking in data inputs all day long from multiple sources. You're context switching constantly. And there's very little time to just let it settle in the back of your brain subconsciously and have you come out with a more creative output or thought or understanding of it. And we know actually that innovation comes from those quiet moments. Creativity comes from those quiet moments. It doesn't come from a new tech whiteboard where everyone can put their stickies up. That's really not where creativity happens. It's in those quiet moments. And so I think we got to figure out how to balance human beings, the human brain with the lovely, you know, and, and really great um, creative technology that we have. We need to figure out how to balance that more.
0: Absolutely. That's a great point. It's a great marriage. Uh <laughs> blocking out time for doing thoughtful work. And of course, we all know when you're doing your best work, maybe you you write a great op-ed or you work on a strategic plan. You come out after an hour or two and you, you, you feel mentally drained. You know you just did great work. It's like going to the gym. Like you could walk on a treadmill for two or three hours, but if you do 10 minutes of hard intervals, you're going to probably feel more exhausted. And I think that's a lot of the same thing with work. We need to make sure we keep it interesting. We need to give the right amount of breaks. You know that's kind of something I want to get your take on, right? How do we how do we manage that? You talked about no pandemic, but how do we manage the safety of people's psychology, their physiological and physical safety, uh, to get them to feel good about returning to work? I get well, returning to the office, right? Yeah, there you go. Returning to work in person.
1: Yes, yeah, in three D as I'm calling it. <laughs> um, you know. Coming back to a shared physical space right now requires us to be very thoughtful and planful about the physical safety and the the psychological safety, right? If you have safety protocols in place where people are supposed to be wearing masks when they come into an office and people aren't doing that, well, they're not going to feel very psychologically safe in that environment, right? So that's a very... That's a very tactical thing that we have to ensure as we get used to coming back into shared physical spaces. But the other thing is, um, you know, a lot of the best work we do is when we feel like we belong. We belong to a community. You know, in DEI language, it's the inclusion part. Of you know diversity, inclusion, and equity. And so I actually think that as we go back, and you know, we have declared we will be in a hybrid environment, which means some people will be in an office in any given day, many people will be remote. So we're still gonna be on Zoom, but it'll be mixed. It's gonna take some new skills from not just people managers, but but everyone really to make sure in that environment. Everyone feels like they belong in that community. And so it's just, it's going to take different motions, you know, of how we interact together in that hybrid world. And that will create psychological safety to, for people to do their best.
0: Absolutely. I like that you mentioned uh, the DEI equation. Um, companies clearly throughout the pandemic began to truly pay attention for many reasons. There was a lot of global events that took place that drew attention to to equality, to equity. Um, and again, us all being home was a nice moment for the world to, for many people who maybe had ignored it or shut it out, to be kind of in front of it and to see how important things are, how many people care. Um, and, I, and I'm really glad about that. But there's been some some negatives that have come out of this whole thing too. Um, there's been some negatives about um, women in the workplace. Let me me give you that example. I've heard a lot of data. I think there was a data point going back to September now that said 800,000 women left the workplace. So COVID had a disproportionate impact on women who have been working extremely hard. And as a society, we've been working very hard to bring up the equality the work-life balance was the problem, Kristen. I mean, when you're not able to go to the office and you're still doing the job at home, this forced a lot of women out of the workforce and that set us back. I mean, what do you, what do you think about that? How do we fix that and correct that and, and hopefully do so quickly to not erase all the progress we've made?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it was really profound. You know, when I saw coworkers on the screen sitting in their garage because they didn't have a place, you know, to work inside their apartment say or or their home with little kids running around the homeschooling. So I I do think that the pandemic forced us into a unique situation where typical daycare and schooling just was not available. And let's face it, we just we know that a disproportionate impact or set of responsibilities falls on women in a family. Um, There's also other data out there that has indicated that women across the board have felt pressured to work more, they felt more burned out, exhausted and thinking about leaving the workforce if they hadn't done it already. Um, I do think it comes back to these core principles of autonomy, flexibility and connection. You know if you allow your entire workforce but maybe this is more helpful for women to work at different odd hours during the day as opposed to i can't even say nine to five because no one works nine to five <laughs> these days right but just the flexibility in how they work to continuously reprioritize what you've got on your plate um, and to have this is interesting to have those more personal conversations that. I think in the past managers have veered away from because they felt like, oh, you know, this is personal. I need to stick with work. Well, getting work done is personal these days. So if we can have a much more candid, um, candid environment for each person and their unique needs, I think we will actually solve some of these issues for not just women, but other people who are impacted in very unique ways.
0: Yeah, I I think the key is we can learn about how to help everybody by sometimes doing some of this segmentation. You know, I always worry a little bit when we try to label everything. It's become a big habit right now. And I understand sensationalism, but I also believe deep down that we learn. And by the way, we learn from data, that data from like this exercise identified a problem where we had lost progress that we'd worked so hard, most of us in society to, to move this forward. And so what can we learn? What can we do better? And I love the fact that you kind of bring the fact that it's not really just about that one group. It's about what can we learn now to apply across other groups? I mean, your point, um, I have a hundred percent remote work organization. Kristen was this way before, by the way, it was the only way I could get the best talent. You know, we're not a big company, but that was one thing I could offer people who really loved the flexibility. And one thing I've always told people is, look, I don't really care what time you do the work. Meaning, if you want to be at your your daughter's uh, ball game or your son's recital or whatever you want to be at, right at five p.m. and then you want to come home at nine p.m. and do the work, that sounds great. I've always believed that, but. We do have this weird stigma in society that we're like, nope, gotta, gotta you gotta send it to me during working hours. It's like what you can't you can't not read your email at midnight? Like if you're asleep at midnight, don't read your email. Put your phone away. You know, it's like we've got a lot of weird habits.
1: Yeah, that's definitely true. And and I think despite the fact that we've had some management practices, you know, in existence for a long time, um, we still are not in the habit. generally across the board of being really good at using those. And I'll give you an example, which is manage by objectives, set goals, be really clear about what outcomes people are going to generate by whom, by when, and manage to that. And if you're really good at that, then it doesn't matter what people are doing every moment of every day, right? You're really managing to those outcomes or those objectives. And so I just think that, you know, in the years to come, the discipline of those kinds of practices is going to be really, really important for getting your outcomes. But then, as we've been talking about, there's this whole set of personal interaction habits and practices that are going to become increasingly important because you have to do it deliberately when the workforce is virtual or hybrid and you can't run into people and hug them in the office or, you know, just kind of have that more um, kinetic, you know, kinesthetic um, connection to people that happens sort of unconsciously. Right. Yep. You be More conscious about all of this stuff.
0: Yeah, I think uh, and we we might get here. I I still my my punditry and and I do a lot of trends and predictions work is still we're going to see a real meaningful hybrid. And I've seen some um, assessments come out that say that isn't true, but I actually believe we were already going the route of hybrid. I don't think that's actually like any big premonition, but I think what we learned is that we can do it. I think the one thing this uh, this whole year and this whole event taught us was like, yeah, we can do this. We can be productive. Uh, the tech industry largely had amazing years. Splunk, you know, and I follow the equities very closely. The company had great growth. It was able to flip its business model. It was able to build and develop new products. And it did it all without people in the office. Um, you didn't have a conf in person and people still showed up to your online conf. Does that mean you'll never do a conf again? No, you'll probably do it again, but you'll, you'll always make it where remote people can have a good experience. Instead of forcing everybody to come on live, you'll probably change who you maybe think needs to physically be there versus who you say you can totally attend this remote and you'll just rethink everything. And cause you, you guys have literally, you, you are a test case in so many of what the ways that things have happened for Splunk over a year that this is all possible. And You're right in the middle. You're not the world's biggest company, but you're certainly not a small business and you've proven it on many fronts.
1: Yes, there's no question about it. And I know you've talked to some of our senior technical and product folks in the past months and they will admit, you know, even for software developers Their opinion about the world was, oh, you have to be in person. You have to have people work together side by side, you know, elbow to elbow. And they will they will admit, you know what, we've changed our opinion about this. So, yes, we've proven to ourselves that we can do it. We actually had pre-pandemic, almost 30 percent of our workforce around the world be remote. Right. They were not affiliated with any office Um, pre-pandemic almost every single meeting had a zoom connection because inevitably at least one person was going to be dialing in. So we're just, we're just putting that, you know, on steroids these days and believing that it is the norm. And then if it's going to be the norm, as opposed to the exception, how do you run your business? How do you create community? How do you create culture um, in a way that, presumes that, you know, as an assumption.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little more about that. Um, Because culture is sort of the epicenter. Uh, When I wrote, I did a series of digital transformation books, Kristen, and when I wrote about them, kind of what I identified was people and culture tend to be a bigger driver of innovation and technology than technology and innovation of people and culture. And you really kind of can't, you can't just interchange those orders when you have a strong culture with people that buy into an idea, uh, that believe in a company that are passionate about something, they tend to build faster. They build products faster. They build community faster. You know, of course you got to have the talent and there's a lot of pieces to this, but vice versa is you can have really good technologies and mix them around the wrong ecosystem, the wrong people and actually see great things fail. Um, But now with this whole remote work thing, you've flipped the culture on its head and keeping people motivated around remote work isn't hard. How do you build that culture first that keeps everybody passionate about the remote work?
1: Yeah. You know, your comment is interesting. You turn culture on its head. I'm not sure that we actually did do that. Um, and I'll go back even pre-pandemic when I first met our CEO, Doug Merritt, when I'm interviewing with him, right? And he was saying, Kristen, we need to think, how do we scale the business? How do we scale the business? And for me, my first thought is, well, how do you scale culture and how do you scale leadership? And be de- really deliberate about both, right, but about the culture piece, because you cannot pay attention to it, and you will have a default culture. So make it strong, make it something that creates competitive advantage for you. So I think for us, um, you know, early days in the pandemic, so many leaders and, and my colleagues out and about were saying, how are... How are you keeping your culture strong, or how are you, you know, making sure that it doesn't um, fall down? And I actually think we strengthened our culture during the pandemic, and we strengthened it by increasing our communication. We strengthened it by, in that time frame, doing a culture diagnosis where we understood what our cultural strengths are. And we also understood what are the things that we're not so strong at and how can we strengthen those? So we've been really working, uh, like I said, deliberately about that. One of the things that was interesting, and I think this is relevant, you know, it has been relevant during COVID. It's going to be relevant is that, you know, the environment changes so quickly. You can have a good quarter. You can have a bad quarter. You can have a leader come, a leader go, you know, ups and downs. You can have a global pandemic. But what's at the anchor of that? At the anchor of that is your purpose as an organization, as a company. What are you here to do on this earth? Right. Um, What's your vision? What are your values? And so we've really doubled down this past year on reframing our purpose our vision mission and refreshing our values we're actually going to launch our new refreshed values next month and if you think about that that purpose which is the core of culture is going to be the anchor through all these dynamic times that's the thing that people can relate to that they can know is going to be true and and enduring so that as change happens as it will um, they can sort of feel safe and anchored in that purpose and in the culture.
0: All right. So I've got a few minutes. I want to ask you a couple questions. I haven't had to do lightning rounds yet, but this is just such a passionate topic. It's hard to answer any of these quickly. So, you know, I want to fit a couple of my, my questions onto this. So the first is, we all accelerated so fast in 2020. How do we keep this pace up? in 2021?
1: That's a good one. We keep it up by making sure we're hiring and developing people and their resiliency, right? I mean, it just it starts with human beings needing to have skills that keep themselves resilient. That's number one. But we also need to create those breaks, right? If you think about use the sports analogy before working out, right? This is this should be interval interval training. Right? Sprint, recover, sprint, recover, sprint, recover. You can't run a marathon at sprint speed, although our world class marathon runners actually do run it at sprint speed. But <laughs> so so how do you how do you, if you're going to go fast, how do you have those recovery moments or times? And sometimes recovery can just mean celebrating the wins the results pausing to take stock and say look at what we did this past month this past quarter look at what we did appreciate that really feel good about that and then move on so i think we need to figure out how did how to build in those intervals those moments of reflection the moments of rest so that people can sustain this pace because i will tell you You know, it's not just Blunk and all of our levels of transformation that we're doing. All of my peers out there are feeling this. And so I actually don't believe at all that the world is going to slow down. It will only continue to increase. So how do we help our organizations uh, be well within that environment?
0: Yeah, change is exponential. There's no question about it. It's not slowing down. I, I can assure you of that. Um, all right. I'm going to wrap up with a question that just is so Splunky. Um, let's talk about data. Let's take this all back and, and ask a data question to tie it together. Um, you mentioned this, you mentioned using more data than ever before. You now have more data than ever before. There's more data than most companies know what to do with. And that's why you're building the products that Splunk builds, but in your role, how can companies, let's give them some recommendations to walk away with. How can companies take this all this data and use this moment and this inflection point to effectively rebuild their strategies?
1: Yeah, I, I think um, part of it is, you know, it's basic, have technology and tools, right? And you got to invest in that. But I do think it's a mindset and it's a mindset about applying data to your people um, or your people to the data and using that to scan You know, that's one part of data um, scanning to see what's out there to make decisions and to monitor and measure results. And like I said before, we need our employees help in that. And so we have to make the case for why that's so important and why our employees can help us. We create a listening culture and we'll use their voice to figure out the right solutions to help them back, which will help our businesses. I I think that's it in a nutshell.
0: Absolutely, and that was a great answer. I I 100% believe it's a combination of, you know, real ephemeral human empathy, caring about people, but you really can't care about people to the maximum potential without that data. It is intertwined for sure. The old gut feel, uh, managed by gut, managed by feel approach. We know those companies don't perform as well. Not with products, not with services, not with customer experience and not with employee engagement. That's been proven. Sounds to me, Kristen, like you have taken that to heart and you've made that a part of everything that you do. Um, I really appreciate this conversation, but it is time to say goodbye, Kristen.
1: Yeah, I know. We could go on and on and on. It's been fun, Daniel, as usual.
0: Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Kristen. And that's a wrap for this episode of That's a Data Problem. But check out all the other episodes. We had a lot of fun here. We had fun on those as well. we'll see you soon.